At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day. Have you ever been in a hole before? Not a rut, but a hole. You see, in a rut, you can see over the top. A rut is temporary. A rut is simply a slowdown of the normal pace of life. If you were in a rut in business, times are just not as good as they have been in the past. And maybe a few tweaks to your strategy will pick things back up to the way they were. If you were in a rut as a parent, which many of you in here have felt before. You may be struggling to figure out the new season of growth in the life of your child. You may be scratching your head, asking around for help, but with a little time, normally, you figure it out. If you are in a rut spiritually, oftentimes prayer is sporadic, Bible reading is difficult to get through, and joy is hit or miss. But a hole is altogether different. A hole is all-encompassing. Just think of the imagery of stepping into a hole and falling in. In a hole, your whole body is submerged. It's dark, smelly, and the deeper the hole is, the less light that's shining in from above. And with limited light comes less hope. And with less hope comes despair. And with despair comes depression. And with depression comes the idea that the whole is your new reality. The confined quarters of the whole is where you will live out the rest of your life. The smell of the whole, the damp and musty smell becomes the new fragrance of life. And the darkness becomes all that you see. What's weird about a hole is that there is only room for one. I've experienced this in the church as individuals and I have have struggled together, but separately somehow, or even in my marriage, how Lindsay and I, my wife, are, are at odds with one another or our circumstances are such that both of us are in a depressed state, but but we're not together. We're in our own deep, smelly hole. We are alone in our own hole. There's no companionship. There's no synergy. There's no one but you in your whole world. What I've just, just described is a sliding scale from hopelessness to despair, from despair to depression, and from depression to the darkness becoming the new norm. And what we have found here at Gospel Community Church is that all of us, now or at some point, 
have been in the hole. Some of you may only be in a rut right now. All that you need is just a lift from the Lord and some effort on your part to, to get out. You see the sun shining around you, but it's hard to make that first step. And for you, this sermon might just be a helpful jump start to get you back into your normal rhythms of joy in the Lord. But some of you in here may be a mile deep and no light is shining in from the top. And I'm praying today that this message begins to pull you out from the darkness, almost as if the ER doctor is putting the paddles on your heart and shocking you back to life. What Pastor Kirk has said for the past few weeks, and what I'll say again, is that we have heard your pleas, and we have been in our own holes as well. These past two years at GCC have been difficult. They've been tiring, they've been lonely, and they have left us gasping for air and for joy. And the refrain that we have heard is the refrain that I want to repeat again, you're not alone. You are not alone. You're not alone in the fight. Though you see only one person in the hole around you, hear me when I say your brothers and sisters in Christ struggle. And hear me also when I say that Satan loves it when we do. Satan loves it when we struggle. He loves it when our light diminishes. He loves it when we grow accustomed to the new reality of darkness. And why is this? Because he hates you and he hates the church. And he will attack it and try to defeat it in any way he can. And what's crazy about Satan is he'll give you the desires of your heart to do so or rob you of all that you have. He will try to attack you and defeat you through the candies and the pleasures of this world. And he will also throw dirt in your hole so that it diminishes the light coming in from above. Thus robbing you of your joy and thus sending you deeper into spiritual depression. Spiritual depression is the loss of joy in Christ a failure to see the beauty in the day-to-day, and a severely diminished hope for the future. We've talked about this for the past few weeks. What you might notice in spiritual depression are things such as a dutiful or begrudging service to the church, cynicism towards hurting people and life in general, Anger and bitterness about your situation and the overwhelming idea that if your circumstances were to change, everything would be better. Church is a waste of time. Community group group is draining. Sunday night studies are just too much and all the church wants anyway is my money. These are lies. Lies that we believe in the state of spiritual depression. And the sad thing is, we know their lies. We just feel like we can't do anything about them. But hear me say, whether you feel it or not today, Christ is beautiful. There is beauty in the day-to-day of life. And there is an awesome hope 
for the future. These are truths. Don't believe the lies that keep you in bondage of spiritual depression. You see, the opposite of spiritual depression is what Christ offers to us, and that is joy. And here's the truth. Joy is a sense of well-being and delight in our soul produced by the Spirit from seeing the beauty of Jesus Christ's works and gifts. We all want joy. Our hearts were made to seek it and enjoy it by a Creator who longs to give it to us. And here at GCC, we want to fight for joy against the schemes of the devil who wishes to rob it away. Last week, we talked about the Word of God and its role in drawing us closer in joy to the Lord and the promises that He is sure to uphold. Kirk said if we are going to be serious about our fight for joy, we must be serious about the Word of God. He said that the Word of God encourages us down pathways that lead to joy and warn us against pathways that lead us away from it. God, in love, reveals to us the bounty of his love and concern for us and his relentless pursuit of us in the Bible. And by reading the Bible, we can know more about God. And the more we know about God, the more we know to love about God. And the, know we more, the more we know to love about God, the more our joy overflows in him. But this is just one side of the coin, right? The, the, the Bible is just one side of the coin. Without us playing a part, all the Bible is is an epic monologue. But that's not our God. God longs to hear from us as well. God, God didn't just give us the Bible and say, here, take this, learn about me and, and take care of yourself. He says, no, here's my word. Learn about how much I want to hear from you. He bends his ear towards his faithful. And he comes to us presently in our time of need. And this week we will be talking about prayer and our fight for joy. So what is prayer? Simply stated, prayer is personal communication with God. But it's oh so much more than that too. Prayer is a foundational ingredient in your relationship with God. Foundational in that you can't have a personal relationship with God without talking to Him. Have you ever tried to foster a relationship where you refuse to speak to someone? What about when things are tense at home and you and your spouse aren't speaking to each other? How vibrant is the relationship then? not vibrant at all. In fact, it is in rapid decline. What if instead of a spouse, we're talking about a, a dating relationship? Just imagine the scene, you and your date sitting across from each other at the Waffle House, and you're looking deeply into each other's eyes, not saying a thing. That, that's, that's awkward. And there's no room for growth in the relationship when I don't know you and you don't know me because we don't open our mouths. It's the same with God. 
We must talk to our God because this act endears us to him and grows us in our affections for him as we trust in him. In fact, we were created to do so. We were created in the image of God to be in relationship with God. And since our creation, God has lent a special ear to his children. Let me illustrate from Psalm 40. Verse 1 says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit out of the miry bog and set my feet upon the rock, making my steps secure. I believe this is the heart of God revealed to us right here. Can you see the posture of God? He's inclined to us. When you're listening to someone and you can, you're involved in the conversation, you, you incline, you, you, you move forward, you listen attently. He's inclined towards David. He wants to hear from him. And he hears David's cry, which is evident. He lifts David out of the miry bog and sets his feet upon the rock. Lord Jesus, hear our cries this morning. Draw us up from the miry bog, from our hole, and set our feet upon the rock of Jesus Christ. Amen. This psalm powerfully gives us insight into God's nature and deep affection towards us. You see, as a gift of grace and out of the abundance of love for us, God grants us access into his presence through prayer like no other. We have access to the King of kings and the Lord of lords into his throne room of grace, into his storehouse of mercy, into the riches of the depths of the joy flowing from his glory. All that we must do is humble ourselves before our King and make our petitions known. Heap praises upon the Lord. Confess how we don't live according to his rule and ask that he would be benevolent towards others. But this brings up an interesting fact about us in America. We Americans just don't get the concept of a king. You serve a king. You bow to him. You do his will and live according to his rules. But that's not us. We in America are rugged individuals. Rugged individualism is our creed and our motto. Our country esteems the self-made man, the jack-of-all-trades, the DIY expert, the Chip and JoJo. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, my wife laughed. The mountain man. I'm my own boss. I call the shots. I like what I like, and I do what I want. By living out this creed, we set ourselves up as our supreme being in our world, thus making it an act of personal treason to cry out for help from someone greater than we. But there's one thing that you're forgetting, one thing that is the lament of the rugged individual. You cannot do this alone. The hole that you are in cannot be dug out of with human hands. It cannot be bought out of or earned out of. It can only come through the grace of God. 
earned for you by Christ and applied to you by the Spirit. It can only come from joy in God, not your circumstances. Seeking joy in your circumstances is what got you here in the first place. Let me prove it to you. How often do you say to yourself, if I only had blank, then I would be happy. What happens when you get it? You want more. What happens when you don't get it? Everything else in your life is worthless. What happens when you get it and it breaks? Or it cheats? Or leaves? Or dies? Your world comes crashing down and your hole becomes deeper. This is what happens when we place our joy on anything other than God. Therefore, we must humble ourselves before our king and shrug off our pride, our American self-made pride, and bend our knee to the only one that can help. So we see that we must pray. We see that God inclines our, his, himself towards us in prayer, and we see that it is a vital part in our fight for joy. But here's a common theme in my prayer time and, and maybe in yours as well. What do I pray for? Which is just another way of saying, how do I pray? I've written down some, some guidelines. Um, they may not be new to all of you. They, they may be, though. It's not an all-inclusive list, uh, but it will surely get us started. Here's the first one. Adoration. Adoration, prayers of adoration. These are a foundational form of prayer that heaps rightly deserved praises upon the Lord. We, we praise the Lord in our prayer. You see, worship, worship is as much worship with our hands folded as it is with them raised in the air. Psalm 99 Verse 1 says, the Lord reigns, let the people tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim, let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion, he is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he, the king in his might loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. David here is heaping upon God. Praises, calling on his attributes that he is just and righteous. That he is Lord and King over all the people. And that we and the earth are his loyal subjects. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, Hallowed be your name as an example of the first thing we should say to God as we pray. Hallowed be your name. Which is another way of saying, make your name holy. Make it set apart. Make it above all things, Lord. This act of prayer does something. It places God above us where he belongs, where he belongs. It sounds silly to say, but we act in our daily lives as if we are God. We make our own provisions. We are our self-appointed, self-sovereign, and nobody is going to tell us how to run our life. Adoration to the King of Kings puts God in his rightful place, 
and removes us from our seat of importance. Number two is confession. In confession, we acknowledge our sins against God, asking forgiveness through the cross of Christ. A psalm that I continue to go back to is Psalm 51. Here's verse 3 and 4. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you. And you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgments. Psalm 51 says something that I think is crucial to our heart in prayer. It is humble. It is broken and it is contrite. We come before God not based on our merit and our goodness and our importance, but only upon His. We acknowledge to God that we have not lived up to His law. We have rebelled against His love. We have not heard the cry of our neighbors or the needy. We, in general, do not live up to the standard of righteousness required by the law of God. And when we confess our sins to the Lord, what do we find? He doesn't have to listen to me. He doesn't have to forgive me. In fact, he would be perfectly just to punish me for eternity for the sins that I've committed. But he chooses instead to incline towards me, to hear me, and to forgive me through Jesus Christ if I cling to his name for salvation. He has compassion on me. That alone should make us a humble person. I believe that these first two ways of communicating to God, adoration and confessing, then set us up for continuing in prayer because it puts us in our rightful place before our king. It sets him on high and us low. And the next way of communicating, the next way of prayer then follows thusly from this, and that's thanksgiving. In thanksgiving, we then, through the lens of adoration and confession, properly give thanks where it is due. We have seen God as the Most High in us as failing to produce good apart from the Lord. Thus, anything that we have or do or experience or get or produce must come from Him. We must give thanks only to God. Psalm 30, 11 through 12 says, You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O oh Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. When the veil of darkness is lifted and the light of the glory of God comes rushing into our darkness, what's David's response? Look at what I just did. Or, I sure am lucky things turned out this way. No, he attributes his gladness as being given as a gift from the Lord. And the falling off of his sackcloth, which is a, 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 a shirt made of either burlap or animal hair, which is normally worn in a time of repentance of sin and mourning. That itchy shirt, 
is loosed or removed by the Lord. Thus it seems to follow that knowing who God is and speaking prayers of adoration, followed by confession or acknowledging our guilt standing before God, amplifies our love and dependence on Christ and will naturally lead to thanksgiving. This is the overflow of joy and hope and love that builds up within us as we acknowledge who God is and what he has done for us. And there's one more thing about thanksgiving. In Psalm 42, 5 and 6, it says, Why are you downcast, O my soul, and why in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Hope flows naturally from thanksgiving. David is thankful not only for what God has done, but for the hope that he supplies. Even in your darkness, can you find something to be hopeful for this morning? Hope in God. Be thankful for who he is, the gifts that he supplies and the grace that he continues to supply in the future. A thankful heart is a humble heart. And a humble heart is then ready to ask God for help. The next point of prayer is supplication. This is the act of humbly petitioning God to supply our needs. This is not wrong. This is done with a, or when done with a humble and worshipful heart, it is God-ordained and God-glorifying. Get that? Asking God for our needs, to supply our needs, is God-glorifying, not nagging. Jesus teaches his disciples in Matthew 11, or 6, 11, uh, by praying, Give us this day our daily bread. He also teaches that God wants to supply our needs when we ask in Matthew 7, uh, 7 through 11. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Ask him. As God wants his children to access his supernatural help. Prayer is a means that God has ordained for us to access his supernatural help. This help supplies our daily bread, our protection, our health, and our joy. And in our weakness, and in our asking, and in our trusting, and in His provision, God is glorified. As Christians, we do not glorify God by providing for our own needs apart from His grace but by praying that he would provide for our needs and trusting in him to answer. And without supernatural help, we will not find joy and delight in the person, the works, and the gifts of Jesus. So cry out to the Father for help in supplying all that you need and joy as you trust in him to provide. Last is intercession 
This is prayer on the behalf of others. This type of prayer is most utilized at, at my house when we gather our children to pray at night. If, you, if you've been in that bedroom with us, which many of you have, we say, hey kids, who, who would you like to pray for tonight? Encouraging them to, to focus the joy, focus the petitioning, focus the, the need, and, and survey the needs because we don't want them to think that they're the only one that has needs. So we ask them, who do you want to pray for tonight? And oftentimes it's a grandparent, it's a friend, it, it, it's a, a teacher. It is good and right for us upon hearing praises, heaping praises upon God, confessing our sins, overflowing in thanksgiving, and asking God to supply our needs, that, that we would then naturally extend our pleas for help to include others. Paul does this as he prays for the Colossian church. In Colossians 1, 9 through 12, he says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will and in all spiritual wisdom and understanding as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and in increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious light for all endurance and patience with joy, thanksgiving, giving thanks to God the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. Paul here prays for these people, this, this new church. He prays for their salvation, for their walk in holiness, knowledge of God, for the fruit of their obedience, all of which is pleasing to God, and it's also for their good. Here at GCC, we pray for the victims of the recent hurricanes, that God's grace and his comfort would extend to them in a special way as they must lean on him to put their lives back together here on earth. We pray for our leaders and those who are in high position, right? That's what 1 Timothy 2 tells us to do. It says, asking for wisdom in their decisions that affect our lives. As a community of believers here at GCC, we want to pray for those around us, those here at our church, as we are acutely aware of the needs, of the struggles, of the heartaches, of the sicknesses, and of the joys of our people. Also, every week, every week we have a prayer team in the back. And what are they doing for you? They're interceding. They're praying prayers of intercession for you as you bring your prayer requests to them. And, and I sound like a broken record because I feel like I say it every time. This is one of the most underutilized ministries in our church. These people are accessing the supernatural help of God on your, uh, on your behalf. At today, after the message, we will have people in the back. They will have lanyards on. They would love to pray for you. Don't sit in your pride. Don't sit in your awkwardness. Don't sit ashamed of the hole that you might be in, but come to them. Come to me as we can intercede for you. These five principles are only a start as there are other ways to talk to God, but I know if you begin to utilize them, 
they will become rungs in a ladder that lead towards the light of joy in Jesus. I want to finish out our time with some exhortations that I believe will further lead to vibrancy in your prayer life. But please know, I'm talking to myself right now. Um, If you want to tune out and not listen to me, these are things that I've noticed in my prayer life that need work, that, that, that need vibrancy. And so maybe you guys are already doing them, but if they help, I hope they do. I've entitled this section, Stop Praying Boring Prayers. Talking to myself, not you. Number one, pray like you're on a mission that's greater than you. Do you ever wonder why so many people are drawn to team sports, be it football, baseball, or soccer? What about people uh, drawn to online gaming where groups of people... Oh, we're in a safe place. Groups of of men gather together to fight a made-up war in a uh, computer-generated scenario. It's because we want to belong to something that is greater than ourselves. We want to identify with a group or a mission that can, can complete a task that we can't alone complete. We want to identify with them And we want to be a part. Paul asks for prayer that the gospel would speed ahead and be honored. When he writes back to a church, I believe it was the Thessalonians, he he says, pray for me. Join in the mission with me. As I'm on the front lines and you're back at home, you have an equally important part. Pray for me that the word of God would speed ahead and be honored. That is a mission worth praying for. We are connected right now. We are connected with all of the saints, all of the missionaries, all of the church plants, all of the people in this church, all through prayer. This exhortation could just as easily be named, quit only praying for yourself. God's mission includes you, but it's not just about you. I need to write that in my Bible. God saves sinners through the work of Jesus on the cross, and he is continuing to save. Pray for the lost. Pray for the mission of the evangelization of the world. Pray for your joy in the mission. Number two, pray like you are in a war that you cannot win alone. I've seen you guys. You're no Liam Neeson. You are no Arnold Schwarzenegger or Chuck Norris who can defeat all of the bad guys with a ridge hand and a sweet headband. You can't kill the bad guys, yes, because you're weak, but mostly because you cannot see the enemy. That's because we do not wrestle against the flesh and blood, against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You cannot stand against the power of Satan. You cannot fight a battle when you cannot see. Satan and his demons are working night and day to tempt you away from joy in Christ or just to plain extinguish it through loss or calamity. You can't dodge a punch that you can't see coming. You can't attack a foe while you sleep. And here's the truth. Just as you prayed last Monday that the hurricane would not destroy your home, so we should pray 
that the evil hurricane of Satan would not defeat our joy. And even more so. Even more so. We are wholly incapable of fighting a supernatural fight with our human hands, but God is our protector. He is our shield. He battles the foe of darkness, and we can cry out to him for help as Satan wishes to sift us like wheat. What does Jesus tell Peter? I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. We must pray and ask God to fight this battle, fight this war, fight for our joy that our faith would not fail. Pray like God knows your sin. Do you think for one second God says, I can't believe what David just did. I would have never in a million years thought he would have done that. I had so much faith in him. Well, there goes his prayer pass. The Father knows your sin more than you can imagine or would be willing to admit. But your good Father wants to hear from you. And not because you are neat or easy to love. Here it is. Here's your transformative truth for today. I hope this penetrates your ears. God hears the prayers of sinners. God hears your prayers. I'll give you two examples. One from Jesus and the other one from King David. Jesus, as he was teaching his disciples to pray, what did he say? He said, and forgive us our trespasses. That means we mustn't run away from God because we have sinned and feel ugly and shameful, but we must run to him in prayer that we may say, forgive me of all that I've done. Forgive me of the 100 sins that I committed on my way to church. Also, King David, you know, the man after God's own heart, is also the one who stole a man's wife and had that man killed in battle and was confronted by Nathan the prophet. That, that King David, he wrote in Psalm 51, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Here's what confession and repentance does. It breaks you out of your hole. It breaks you out of your hole. David goes on to say this, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Don't hide in your hole, in your darkness, in your shame, and don't flaunt the goodness that you put up as a mirror or as a shield in the face of the one who knows your true heart. God hears the prayers of sinners and is pleased when those prayers come from a broken and contrite heart. One who can say, Lord Jesus, wash me whiter than snow. And last, Pray like you're planning for a vacation. Pray like you're planning for a vacation. You don't just wake up one day and says, hey, let's go on a vacation. Let's get the car packed. Grab all the kids, check them out of school, let's go. It's planned for. You chart a course. You look forward and anticipate the vacation and such is prayer. Much like Pastor Kirk talked last week about having a plan for Bible reading, we must also plan 
for prayer. As much as I love being organic and spontaneous, that's just a cover-up for my procrastination. And maybe yours as well. I don't like to plan, and I don't like to set things in stone because I'd oftentimes rather just not. But just not, or just whenever, is not a plan for prayer. This is not to say that your prayer life should neatly fit into your daily calendar or your organization of your life. Um, But instead, we plan what we prioritize, right? And hopefully I've made the case that a relationship with God through prayer is the top priority. Therefore, it should be inserted into your day. And if need be, other things must be moved around or just moved out to accommodate. Many people believe in the power of early morning prayer. And if this is you, and this is the only or the best time to do so, get up, do it, make it happen. A time without kids running around asking for this and that. Uh, A time without phone calls. A time without the the naggings of life. is a special time with the Lord. And I encourage you to try it. However is best for you is what you should do. But the key here is being intentional and being consistent. Your relationship with God must have regular attending to, just as your soul must be constantly reminded to be joyful. Also, it is helpful to have a place. Are you going to the beach or are you going to the mountains? You you need to know where you are going. Is it a prayer closet? Is it in the cab of your truck? Is it with your knees on the floor and your hands folded on the side of your bed? Knowing where you're going just adds to the planning, adds to the intentionality that we must have as we seek the Lord. All of these are a great start. Choose a place that is quiet, not distracting. A place where you feel able to pray aloud. Pray quietly. Where you feel comfortable to weep and shout for joy. And do all these things that friends do when they communicate. So choose a time or times because we're supposed to pray without ceasing. Find a place and lastly, grab your map. When you drive to your destination, you, you need to know how to get there. In fact, right now, for those of you who are in a hole and can't find your way out, God in love have, has provided for you a road map in him, through the word of God. Pray the words of the Bible. Your words are a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Pray the words of God. Don't know what to say in prayer? Pray his words. They're perfect. The Psalms are a natural place to start. The Psalms are a prayer book. They range the emotions from joy to sadness, from exuberation to anxiety and fear of death. God is displaying this range so that we would have identity in them. You could do it like this. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Lord, 
Lord, keep me from people in my life who are dragging me into sin, that, that, that are leading me down a path that leads not to joy, but to further into my hole. Okay, what does it say next? What does it say next? Nor stand in the way of sinners. Lord, I don't want to be associated with these people. Identify them in my life. Those that are drawing me into sin and, and, and take me out of those circles. Nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Lord, I don't want to be a scoffer. Help me to, to not judge people. Help me to not um, heap uh, my opinions on them, Lord, as they try to walk in ways that are worthy of you, Lord, don't call me or don't let me judge them. But, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. May my delight be in you, Lord. Read, meditate, pray. They, they all go together. Open your Bible. I did this this morning over Psalm 40. It was it, it was life giving. It was life-giving. You, 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 Lord, heard my cry. Lord, hear our cries this morning. And you inclined your ear to, to, to me. Be with us in this service, Lord. As, as you incline your ear to us, may we cry out to you. Deliver us from the miry bog. Set our feet upon Christ Jesus. Let me leave you with this today. This truth that you can be thankful for. Our prayers access the ear of the Father through the Son, through Jesus. Because of our sinful nature, we must have a mediator. And that mediator is Christ Jesus. During the Old Testament, the high priest was the mediator between the people and God. But now we have a high priest that is above all high priests that ever was. And he's the last that we'll ever need. It's Jesus Christ. And we Access the Father through Him. That's why we say, in Jesus' name, amen. It's not a throwaway term at the end of our prayer, but it's our access. It's the road that we take into the throne rooms of grace, into the seat of mercy, and into the halls of the glory of God that He wants to shower upon us. We're not fit on our own terms. We're not fit because we've earned it. We, we, we are set through a chasm away from God. There's a chasm between us and God, those who don't call on Christ for salvation. But in salvation, Jesus becomes that bridge. He becomes that narrow way. He becomes the access that we have, the only access we have to God. And may we pray powerfully in His name as He's powerfully applied His righteousness and his pass to the Father, to us. There's a first step out of the hole. There's an action step that you can take right now in your seat, up front, in the rear, and that is to pray. You can cry out to the Lord to intervene in your situation right now, to draw you from your hole and to begin to fix your eyes on his marvelous light. You are not alone. We are here with you and God is inclining his ear to you today. Let's pray. Father God, hear our prayers you alone, through your supernatural work, 
are big enough to carry our joy, are strong enough to protect us against the evil schemes of Satan, loving enough to have compassion on us who are not easy to love, but, but need love. You, O oh God, are above all gods. You are our King and our Lord and our Savior forever. Have mercy on us here at GCC. Have mercy on this city. Have mercy on this world. Through Jesus, who we await and who we hope in with all of our hearts. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. Heal us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.